two men watching a basketball game, chatting and eating hot dogs one day in 2012 in Ohio might not seem like geopolitics. But as we learn in Kristen Haugevik's new book, when the two guys are President Barack Obama and Prime Minister David Cameron, such a friendly episode has significance in global politics. So what kind of significance do these special friendships in international relations have? My name is Alana Wilson-Rowe. And I'm happy to be having this podcast conversation with my colleague here at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs, Kristen Haugevik, to find out some answers. We are also going to dig deeper into the U.S.-U.K. relationship, which is a central case study in Kristen's new book, which is called Special Relationships in World Politics, Interstate Friendship and Diplomacy After the Second World War, and is newly out with Rutledge. The curious can then read the book to find out even more about special relationships with the UK and Norway as a complementary case. So, Kristen, I love the example of the hot dog and basketball session that you give in the opening of your book. Can you give us a few more well-known or less-known examples of these kinds of special friendships in international relations? So I think um, the practical use of the phrase special relationship is almost everywhere. So we find it in so many instances of relationships. But at the same time in this book, I've been on the lookout for cases where such representations are used more frequently, where they are sort of a more natural uh, and ingrained way of in, in which these countries speak it, about each other. We find them, for instance, in the Nordic states uh, in terms of how they speak to one another and, and, and about one another. We find it in the United States, various relationship with many European states, such as Germany, such as the UK, which is dealt with in this book. Uh, within the European context, Germany and France are known to have a very special relationship as well in the context of European integration. And then there's the US and Israel. Uh, and one of my colleagues here at Nupi has also told me that in Chinese, there's a, an expression called all-weather friendship, which covers much of the same uh, sentiment, basically. That's fascinating. And I think, you know, the idea of special friendships or all-weather friendships has this kind of common sense resonance because we hear it in everyday speech and international relations, as you were saying, and it also ties in with our own understandings of social life and our friendships and relationships. In your book, how did you have to tighten up the term for your analysis or how could you decide if a friendship was really special or did that matter at all? So that is a really good question, because when I started out on this project, I, I, my ambition was certainly that I wanted to create some sort of definition. What is a special relationship? How do we separate the non-special from the special ones? But as I set out to, to explore this, it, it turned out, as I said, that uh, so many state leaders use this concept and so many journalists, so many scholars about different relationships. So what I did instead was to to try to look for uh, the relationships where these terms are used, as I said, more systematically, more frequently, and also to see what kind of expectations and actions that follow from these uh, formulations. Well, it's going to be impossible for you to summarize all of the book's theoretical and methodological choices for this brief co podcast, but I'm wondering if you can tell us just a couple of the tools or concepts that were most important in bringing special relations into focus. So in this book, what I do is that I trace representations of the other over time. So I try to see the, see the representations that they use in everyday language in important political contexts. But I also look at how... Um, how these representations are operationalized, if you like, 
into practices at both the front stage and the backstage of inter the international political scene. So, for instance, I divided into to what I call practices of recognition and practices of trust, looking, for instance, at how often uh, state leaders visit one another, who is the first state leader to visit when a new president in the United States, for instance, comes into of office. And very often that turns out to be the British prime minister. Uh, but I also uncover through interviews with diplomats who work with these relationships how uh, they work with one another. And one thing they tell me is, of course, that they very easily pick up the phone to call one another when they have an issue on, uh, on mind. Uh, they will easily call the other. And I think these types of practices tell us something about uh, the value that is attached to these different relationships. So the U.S. and the U.K. are one of the classic examples of special friendships in your book, as well as in kind of public understandings of international relations. Do you think we'll soon see Donald Trump and Theresa May taking in a sports event and eating some junk food together? Well, that is an excellent question. And I think what I uncover in my book is on the one hand that this is, you know, less about the individual leaders over time. But at the same time, when you do have specific personality, they can they can carry a lot of the weight of these relationships in a specific moment. So you would have couples such as Churchill and Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, and even George W. Bush and Tony Blair, who famously, without, uh, without having very similar political viewpoints to begin with, ended up being uh, somebody who, who personified the relationship very well. Uh, so with Theresa May and Donald Trump, we of course have this, um, this uh, image from the first time they met, when they held hands. But I don't think that was a very effective signal of the special relationship, not in the same way as the Obama-Cameron hot dog on the basketball game. So in that way, what your book shows with the front stage and backstage of how special relationships are anchored, if there isn't a special chemistry between the state leaders themselves, it doesn't mean that the special relationship is no longer functioning in, in the relationship. Because your book also shows how these friendships are so deeply anchored. Was there anything out of your interviews about how special relationships endure in moments where there's perhaps less amity or cooperation between the states themselves? I think, uh, I think absolutely that the diplomats in the different capitals, they, they, sort, of, um, they sort of continue the, the routines, even though there is somebody else on the top of that apparatus. So I think that is very true to say. I mean, somebody told me in an interview once that, you know, we don't need to to bring over the entire dog and pony show every time a new leader comes. It's not about that, although the press is about that and the public is a lot about that. But for the diplomats themselves, there is a lot about simply the everyday interaction, the ability to call the other without too much fuss. And even the practice uh, that I was very um, fascinated to learn, namely that US and, and British diplomats actually have access cards to one another's foreign ministries. So to the State Department in the US and to the Foreign Office in London, they can actually bypass the queue and easily get into one another. And I think that's a fascinating example of how special the relationship actually is. So Kristen, you write in, in your book that special friendships can change, maybe to something called benign neglect. What does that look like? So in the book, I, I have this second relationship that I investigate in addition to the, to the UK-US relationship. I also look at, at Britain's relationship with Norway. And, and that is also a fascinating relationship because just after the Second World War, this was a relationship that was very important, especially to Norwegian policymakers. And it was a lot about the cooperation during the war. Uh, and in the, in the years that follow, the UK was also very important for Norwegian policymakers in terms of 
the decisions they made, for instance, in terms of European integration. Uh, later on, other states more and more took over that role. The United States became the most important security ally of Norway's. And so the relationship with the UK continued to be important, but it was perhaps no longer as much on top of the everyday agenda. And that's what I mean with the benign neglect, because it's always spoken of as a good relationship. It's a relationship where the politicians like each other, but they don't find as many times to meet, for example. So... Are there any drawbacks to having a special friend or being a special friend in international relations, or is this all positive? Well, on the one hand, one could say that the special relationships, of course, allows for certain influence, certain support maybe on the international scene. It can mean a lot to have a, a friend that appears alongside you in, in important international fora. Of course, the drawback could be uh, if you as a country in your foreign policy, would have a divergent posi position. So if there would be a war, for instance, that was not uh, did not have a strong domestic support uh, and that one still would feel the importance of contributing troops, um, of, uh, of giving support in the public to the other country. And, uh, and one of the examples that come to mind would be the Iraq war, of course, where many, many people would say afterwards or many critics would say afterwards that... Uh, that Tony Blair was also caught in this this uh, rhetoric of the special relationship, that it became very important for him to be the most important ally in that situation. Fascinating, Kristen. After reading your book, I know every time I hear the word special relationship, I will have a lot of new analytical tools in, to think about it with. And it's interesting to learn how cooperative relations and positive images also drive and constrain international relations. Thank you very much for coming in to talk about your book today.